Hi there, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners. Welcome to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast series, where we feature leading practitioners and thinkers across connected industry and the broader technology landscape. Hello and welcome everyone to the Momenta Edge podcast. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner. And with us today, we have a very special guest. We have Charlie Oliver, who is uh, founder and CEO of uh, Serve Fresh Media, the founder of Tech 2025, and a good friend of mine, as well as a um, uh, a podcast partner. So last year, uh, yeah, as we get into it, I mean, Charlie's got an amazing background, uh, just just an enormous array of experiences and uh, and skills that she really that she brings uh, to to building community around technology. But last year, uh, we had a we had a really good time uh, doing uh, doing a few episodes. Well, first, you know, first of all, Charlie, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. Thank you for having me. This is great. <laughs> it, it is. Last year, we uh, we did eight episodes of the Tech Twenty Twenty Five podcast, where we were yes. uh, we were both um, uh, we were co hosting, and uh, of course, Charlie did all the work, and and uh, I. Was, <laughs> Yeah, you, would have, you you showed up like a like the star. You, it would have fun. It was a lot of fun. But yeah, it was. We we explored a, a, a lot of different technologies in this you know in this podcast. So, um, but I think what's you know what's going to be uh, a lot of fun in our conversation today is 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 really to talk about um, you know what's 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 made your unique perspective on. Uh, you know, on technology, be so impactful, and 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 just just as a bit of uh, uh, just as a a, a a prologue to our discussion, uh, you know, my I, you know I first met Charlie. It was early early in 2017 when I saw uh, some one of the events that she was putting on, and and what was so unique to me the first time I went to one of Charlie's events because be people do meetups and presentations and and events in New York all the time. I've been to so many of these events where it's, you know, you'll have a speaker get up and uh, give a presentation, then there'll be Q&A. But, uh, you know, Charlie, Charlie's workshops, it forced people to engage with their neighbors, to come up with with solutions to problems. And, and really, and, and of course, you know, Charlie or, would organize and, uh, you know, curate and, and moderate these events. And at the end, everybody comes away with uh, not just uh, a whole bunch of new perspectives that they hadn't thought about, but also building new connections with people that, that they you know, might have been too shy to speak to at the, um, at the events before. And, and, and this concept of build, building community you know, had a big impact on me. And I was, I was just, you know, I was, so, I was so impressed by the work that, that you were doing, Charlie. Anyway, we, we've, uh, we've become fast friends since. She's one of my favorite people to talk to. And, um, and that's why I wanted to bring you on to the, the podcast to talk, you know, first, you know, let's talk about your background and kind of what, you know, what brought you to, to you know, to, to do what you've been doing in New York, which is so, so impactful and, and, and so different. Oh, boy. I, I feel like I'm a little in the hot seat because <laughs> – <laughs> 
last year when we did our podcast, I, I was the one that was asking you a lot of questions and I love learning from you. Your experience and your, your background and your perspective on things has always uh, helped to enlighten me. And I've definitely benefited from your, your guidance and your, your unique way of seeing things in the community. And I, as someone who runs a community, I look for that. I need that. So, uh, so you have definitely helped us to grow this community. So having said that, I, you know, you're asking a question that I, it's interesting when people ask me this question because I never really know how to answer it hmm. uh, exactly. So in terms of, you know, because you never really know how people are seeing what you're doing until you hear from people. And, it, and you know, Tech 2025 came out of, I like to say that it came out of, um, well, it's the culmination of obviously years of experience of doing things. I had companies contacting me last year asking, you know, how did you build this community so quickly? How did you, you know, how did you, did you, did you it's only been a few months and you already have a lot of people. And I said, well, no, I've been doing events for 10 years, almost 10 years. And no, I've been, you know, this is, I think, the culmination of what I've come to learn in life and, and what draws me and what, you know, what, what makes me tick, right? And so with Tech 2025, this is an, a sort of an offshoot of Surfresh Media. And Surfresh Media is the startup, the second startup that I had. Um, my first startup was Art of Talk TV. That was in 2007. And it was a web video platform that failed spectacularly. <laughs> but it was during the time, it was during, you know, I had come into this, into tech from traditional media, as, they, as we used to say, you know, TV and film. And um, I was also working in corporate law for, for a few years. And when I came into tech in New York City, it was a very different scene, right? I mean, you know, YouTube had only been up and going for like two years. I think Facebook had been around for two years. I mean, it was a very different time and it was exciting. And so we just did everything that we wanted to do because it was all there to be done. Right. And, um, there was very little judgment. We were just able to experiment with our ideas on this new thing. It was still fairly new to us, right? The internet, the modern internet, it was like 2007. So after I failed spectacularly at Art of Talk TV, uh, and that was when the market crashed, which was a, a it was pretty devastating to, to everyone, especially in tech, because uh, in New York City, we were sort of uh, having a ball. We were enjoying a moment of freedom in tech that I don't think a lot of people talk about, but it certainly was the case. We were having a ball. Mashable had, I think, like five employees at the time, and we were just kind of all just getting high off of the idea of um, living our ideas, if that makes sense. You know well, what I mean? And, and, um, and there and was then, a lot of media going on, too. I mean, this, I mean, New York oh, being kind of a media uh, uh, capital, right? And, and a lot of the, the industries were very – and the startups were – there was a lot focused on, you know, Internet advertising and online ads and that sort of thing, right? Absolutely. And especially because, I mean, you have to remember at that time, Google had not yet acquired YouTube. <laughs> Which is insane to think of, right? Because it's, you think, wow, it's always been there. But at that time, YouTube was YouTube. And, and uh, there were other web video platforms that eclipsed YouTube far and eclipsed YouTube. And they're not around anymore, right? I mean, but at that time, there was a lot of money being thrown at the web video platforms. And so, you know, I, I launched mine, and it was called Art of Talk TV. And it was um, a platform, again, about building communities around content. And the, and the content was... Uh, talk shows, 
online talk shows uh, that weren't being done, obviously, at that time because it was so new. And, and so I did that. And the idea was to uh, sort of reflect and, and report the news on talk shows, on TV talk shows, right? So to sort of bring the TV talk show medium online, which hadn't really been done yet, right? Because those big media TV sites or those big I would say the big media companies, the big broadcasting companies, they had not yet uh, begun to bring their content online, right? So I thought, well, I'll do that. I'll report on it. We'll have that platform. And on top of that, we'll give uh, sort of D-list and C-list celebrities a place to come and do their own talk show. So that was the whole idea behind it. And uh, the first C-list, I would say, celebrity was um, Rob Blagojevich. Go figure. Don't ask. (laughs) (laughs) And here's a funny thing. I snatched him up just before Trump signed him for The Apprentice. So talk about a different era. <laughs> like, Bogoyevich's lawyers were like, yeah, you know, we're negotiating with Trump, but we're going to sign with you first, and then we're negotiating with NBC. And so it was all happening at the same time, and it, we were just having a ball about the fact that I got him before Trump, which I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and now they're talking about trying to get him pardoned because he's those are pretty, yeah. pretty heady ties. But that was but but you got a chance Crazy. to really see this technology, you know, emerging this this video on the on exactly. the use of video on the internet and and kind of live through this massive change and the communities, which is more important. Back to your point, uh, I. I lived through that early era of the of the social communities that were being born and and developed online at that time, right? And so that was a, that that left a really huge impact on me because I came from tradition again traditional media where I worked in TV and film for years. I worked in sitcoms uh, on TV shows with writers and producers uh, in the writers' room for years, and then I worked in indie film for years and and at the Sundance Film Festival. So I did a lot with regards to working in TV and film, and for me this was really exciting and it was really new that you could actually build communities around this type of thing. And so the the, the thing that made me even then launched that platform was that I did a project with Catherine Bevel Jones, who is now, I mean, she's pretty much like a legend in live streaming. She's one of, I, I definitely would say one of the first people to do live streaming online and to make it viable and to push it as a, as a medium that everybody needs to be a part of. Right. So when, 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 uh, Obama and and McCain were going at it, right, during that cycle, that, that election cycle, she came to me, Catherine Neville Jones, and she said, let's do like a live webathon online for 24 hours or for however long, and, and let's just record um, sort of these, these women and actors talking about um, – about the election, and, and it was this big thing, and we called it women who have, well, women, I think it was called, um, women, women respond to Sarah Palin. That's what it was. And that was the first time that I actually said, wow, this is incredible, because what we did was we took all of these letters. There was basically there were 24,000 letters, right, that came in um, in response to a question that was asked about Sarah Palin. And there were a lot of women at that time that did not feel that she represented them. So what we did was we took some of those letters and we um, just went online. We went on a live stream platform. I think it was Ustream at that time. And we just started reading the letters of these women across the Mm -hmm. country who felt a particular way. And Mm -hmm. it started trending on Twitter. And then it started getting a lot of notice from the media. And so that's when I said, okay, this is big. And there's something incredible about building communities around a topic and around an idea. So that's when, after that, after I did that and then did um, 
did the plat, you know, did my my startup and it failed because the market crashed. There was no need for it. A lot of the startups got washed washed away. Um, then I launched Surfresh Media and realized that oh, okay, social media, the communities, this is how it's going to evolve. This is awesome, right? Um, so yeah, it was pretty awesome, and and did that for eight years successfully. Yeah, I mean, well, in the, in the interim, of course, we have seen that that we've seen uh, Facebook and and Twitter, of course, become enormous businesses and, and really global communities and, and have impact, uh, you know, geopolitical impact in, in, in many cases. But uh, I thought, you know, coming back to, you know, what you know the genesis of the of the tech 2025 idea I, you know i think it was mm-hmm. i found it so interesting that uh you know we have a we have both have a, a, a sense of similar background because we're neither of us are engineers we're not technologists but we're fascinated right. in technology could you you talk about what you know what was your uh kind of the initial vision or your um mm your aspirations in, in setting up tech 2025, uh, originally as you know, what, what did you see that was missing in the, uh, you know, in, in the environment that, that really great question. Yeah. That's a great question. And, and this is, this is, I, I will say this in early 2016, I began to hear from my clients, my social media clients, which are typically, um, Innovation teams, uh, C-suite executives, uh, we do presentations for uh, innovation teams, helping them to sort of figure out the technologies that they're going to use, and we do branding and marketing and, and all that good stuff. But I had already begun to hear the concern about AI coming from, you know, my clients. What is this? What are we going to do? Da, 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 da. And it was, a, it was a substantive concern. I mean, I, I would say that I was hearing fear as early as 2016 about these technologies. And so my question to them, whenever someone expresses a fear to me, um, my usual response is to ask a question that helps me to understand the basis of the fear, right? Mm-hmm. Or to, to reframe the, 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 the fear that they're expressing. And so my question to them was always, well, let me ask you a question. If you are concerned about this to this extent um, and you feel like this time this innovation, this, this, these technologies that you're going to be dealing with, that you have to contend with and prepare your organizations for, if you feel like this time it's different and that, uh, and that that's scary for you, uh, what is the rest of your organization thinking and feeling about this? I mean, what are the rest of the employees in the company feeling about this? You know, like mm-hmm. who's talking to them? Because if you're feeling this way and, and people are now beginning to hear about AI a lot, um, who's talking to mid-level management and below, <laughs> you know, um, because I, I say people, people, the thing about fear is that it is palpable, you know, it is palpable. And when it comes from the top, um, I think it's a tendency for us to think that uh, we can either hide it or mask it or, you know, um, overcompensate for it in some other way. And I just think people are a lot smarter than that. Fear, there's something about fear that, that sort of penetrates all of us in a way. And, and so my question to my clients was, well, how are you dealing with this with your organization? Um, that actually will tell you more. And I, I say to this day, how you deal with fear tells you more about the outcome than anything else, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so that was that, that, started me on the, the, the path of thinking about why aren't, why aren't we talking about these technologies in, you know, it, 
to the public, with the public? Why, why aren't ordinary people being brought into these discussions and asked what their opinions are? And then I have to tell you, I saw an, uh, I saw an article uh, uh, that was written. It was co-authored by Sebastian Throne and what's his name, Craig Schmidt. Mm-hmm. And it was basically it was in Forbes, and it was a response to Elon Musk and the late Stephen Hawking. Um, and you know they kind of sit squarely on opposite sides of the AI, you know, um, topic or, or debate, yeah. which is yeah. obviously you know, you know, <laughs> Craig Schmidt is is very utopian about it, and Elon Musk is very dystopian. So we get that. Um, so the article was basically a response to them. But I will never forget the anger that I felt. It actually made me angry reading this this article because it was so dismissive of the possibility that we might be doing something that could hurt a lot of people mm-hmm. and that we should probably either think more about this or slow down or even question it. The article basically, it, both of them were saying, eh, forget about it. This is great. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to have heaven. It's, you know what I mean? It's, and that, it, it, I was surprised at how angry that made me because I really felt like, wow, you know. So there was this disconnect, right? Yeah, you you were. It was a huge hearing disconnect. It, you were seeing a disconnect, a disconnect with the people that you're talking to, and then hearing these, uh, you know, tech leaders and luminaries just dismissing it, just complete being. Yeah, completely and they're sort of waxing poetic about it, and 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 they're so utopian about it, and then. And, and not only that, but it's it's further. It's that there was an arrogance there. If you read the article, I, I'll, I'll send it to you. But there was an arrogance where it was almost mm-hmm. completely dismissive of the idea of us even questioning them. And that's what I said to myself, okay, that's when we fail, right? Mm-hmm. That's when we automatically begin to fail. Whether or not we see or feel the, the, the repercussions of that failure right away, that to me is the beginning of failure, right? So um, so that uh, that was an emotional response. And I said to myself, okay, all right. There's something going on here. And then later in the fall, uh, the day after Trump won the election, I headed out to San Francisco. I was at Half Moon Bay at Teconomy, which is a conference Mm -hmm. uh, that's done twice a year by, as you know, Teconomy, uh, the magazine. And I'm sitting in a room full of C-suite executives. I mean, you know, it's one of those conferences. You know, everyone's there, and uh, everyone in the room was shell-shocked. Everyone was just stunned that Trump, Trump just won, right? And Mark Zuckerberg sat a few feet in front of me, um, and that's where he made the statement that he could not believe that anyone would think that Facebook could ever be responsible. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's when he made that statement. And it was the same level of air of arrogance and I don't mean that in a way to judge him in a horrible way, because when I saw him speak, I think he really, he really believed that there was no way possible. I just think there was a level of denial going on there with him and his organization that they just really just didn't want to see it or couldn't see it. But there was still it was still wrapped in an arrogance that I said it's probably going to be damaging to us in implementing these technologies moving forward. And so that's when I decided at that point, okay. I think other people should have a voice in this, and, and that these technologies are going to be this disruptive, this absolutely disruptive to our society in the way that we think and the way that we define ourselves. And hell, you better want to get ordinary people to talk about this and to share um, what they're thinking and how they're feeling. I just happen to believe that there's no way that we can do this without having everybody participate in having a voice in it. You know what I mean? I just, and to be honest with you, Ed, I feel like I I almost feel a sense of, um, 
God, I said, it's just, this is, there's a narrow window of opportunity, I think, for ordinary people, right, mm-hmm. who may have missed the, 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 the 2.0 era, who may have missed the social era, who didn't get in on that. There's a very narrow window of opportunity right now for us, I think, to get this right and for us to sort of change the dynamic of what we've created, the imbalance, I think there's an opportunity for mm-hmm. us to create more balance with how people are, you know, either compensated or how they live their lives or how they define their happiness. And I, my fear is that that window is closing more and more as time goes on and as these technologies accelerate, it, if we don't begin to ask people questions that make them think and do things differently. Yeah. Uh, and it's, and it's, uh, your, your, your timing was prescient because of course you, you, you know, here we are, uh, you know, good, you know, 18, 20 months later, and we've had the, the, the Cambridge Analytica scandals. We've had, yeah. uh, you know, all sorts of, um, you know, controversies about use of data. And, and of course the conversations yeah. have progressed quite a bit. And, and, and interestingly, you know, the, the, at today we're, we're speaking on on a day after both Twitter and Facebook are are uh, experiencing huge stock declines because of right. uh, because of, of disappointing metrics and and uh, mm-hmm. Facebook was even talking about how GDPR privacy regulations have impacted its uh, its business and and you know we mm-hmm. you know we talked about a lot of these issues I think or, you know or, uh, early on but there was more theoretical. Um, now, right. what I thought was, you know, was so interesting about how you would curate your uh, your think tanks and, and your workshops. Um, could you talk a bit about how you, you know, when you've put together, you know, some of the events that have been you know, very, very well received? Uh, I, I've been to a number of them. You know, how, how do you think about uh, the you know, t- uh, topic topics and speakers? Um, and and could you t- talk a little bit? about some of the impact about some of the people who come to your um you know to to who've come to some of the events and and the feedback that you get and i think we you know we both know one of the uh you know one of the pillars of, of the of the community is has become you know just was so inspired by your work that you know she got education in data science and is now uh you know and and is 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 climbing <laughs> and moving and, and the fabulous Ann and griffin no she's done yes. amazingly she's well right and just sort of Absolutely. this is a she's a case study of somebody who says mm-hmm. wow this is important she yeah. applied this to her life she uh she t- took on new skills and mm-hmm. uh and she uh, used that to use her new knowledge to uh, to improve her career and, and her life, and it's mm. it's been pretty amazing. But but anyway, yeah, I, I, I I throw her out as 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 one example that jumps to mind because I'm she's so the best excited example. She she's is the best but, example, and she is, she inspires me. She does. Yeah, but but talk a little bit about that. You know the your your process. Of, you know when you when you're putting together events, what you you know what you look to uh, uh, provide uh, to you know to the community and and how, and how mm. how you've seen the community evolve from you know from the mm. interactions that that uh, that come out of, of the you know the, the work that you do well you know you know better than anyone right that I, I it is a struggle <laughs> it's, it, it it's is. not easy it is well it's hard work it right is. so and that's it is hard work and yeah. 
And I have to tell you, it's not just that. So there's there's a couple of things because I get asked this a lot. I get asked this by not just by by people in corporate, you know, who look at what I do and they go, "Oh my God, your your events are run so well and they're so great." I get asked this by other event organizers. How do you do your events? How do you do? Okay, so first of all, I, I mean, I think it's only fair to say that. Okay, I've been doing events for years, right? So I do have that experience that I can pull from. Right. Having said that. There is a big difference between doing events on a topic that is well-established for an audience that you know very well and doing events about a topic that no one knows anything about for an audience that you have no idea is out there or who they are or what they are. And that's what I started with, with Tech 2025, because when you think about it, I mean, I just, I, it, it was one of those things, it was the true entrepreneurial thing where I said, well, look, I'm just going to start doing this. And, and what else is there? I mean, let's just start having these conversations. I know how to put, it, put together an event. Let's get some people in the room. I did start with certain criteria that I decided early on would be the, the, the foundation of whatever it was I was building. And I, I know now, I think after having two startups and having you know, failed enough in my life, I understand enough to know that no matter what I start, I know that it will take on its own life and I have to be open to what, it's, what it needs to be, right? I, I don't want to control it so much, especially a community, especially a community. Um, and so I was very aware of the fact that, um, number one, the events that I had been going to, like you, you know, we go to events for a living, right? They are so many of them are are just not edifying. You go in, you sit down, someone speaks. You know, you got a panel, you got a Q and A. There's always some some guy or girl who's asking a question that goes on and on and on. <laughs> I mean, and you're you're lucky if you you make any kind of a real connection or getting any real information. And what I mean by that is, if I can look it up online, eh? Yeah, you know I mean, if I can, I mean, you, we're going to events. Most of us to be, I think, inspired and informed in a way that moves us to action. Right. So I decided early on that no matter what, I would not have people sitting in a room and just listening to a, a professional who is an expert. Right. Um, because I think part of what I, I was seeing back then, which is, is which has come to fruition, I think, as, as time has gone on, is that the idea of the expert um, needs to be reevaluated. Right. Um, part of the problem with people not understanding technologies is that they're constantly told that they can't understand it. Right. And so the first event that we did, I, I literally was very much like throwing a bullseye, throwing a, a, a you know, something at a bullseye and just hitting, hitting it in the center. I, I kid you not, because I didn't know who would be interested in, in AI. It wasn't that popular back then. Remember this is January, 2017. So I'm like, okay, I don't know anyone who's talking about AI right now, but let's see what we can do. I did, however, myself, I, I found a community in the chatbot community. I myself was interested in that, and I listened to how the chatbot community was excited. And when I say the community, I mean these are developers and people who are developing the technologies, right? So I was very much involved in the community at that time, meaning I was in the, in the Facebook groups and, you know, to talking to people on Twitter and um, reading as much as I could about, you know, all of the developments. And so I said, well, at the very least, with regards to the technologies that we are going to be covering at Tech 2025, which is what AI, machine learning, um, robotics, uh, VR, AR, drones, um, you know, that type of thing, chatbots, I knew that I could at least get people who were interested in chatbots to come and, and hear 
you know, what's happening. And to my surprise, the event sold out in a day or two. I mean, it literally filled up about a, literally about a, I think it was like 90 people. Uh, and, and the room itself, because I made it an open call and because I made it a point of saying in the event, and this is, again, goes to the foundation of, of creating an event that's, that's creating a community that you're trying to define. Because at that time, I didn't know what the community was. I knew that I wanted it to be all inclusive. I knew that I wanted it to be inclusive. I didn't want to say no to anyone. I didn't want anyone as is often the case at a lot of tech events, to walk into this event and feel like they aren't smart enough to keep up. They're not technical enough to have this conversation, right? And I didn't want the technologists to walk into this event, my software developers, my, my engineers. These are people who are in my network too, right? I didn't want them to walk in and feel like, eh, this conversation is too basic. Eh, it's too this, it's too that. So that is the constant balance that I need to strike, mm-hmm. right? But with this first event, I think when you see the people coming into the room, it tells you a lot about about the success of of how you were able to engage the community. It turns out we had everyone in that room from 20-year-olds to literally 75-year-olds come in. And it was an incredible thing because, back to your point, with regards to people sort of telling us what the community is and, and me learning how it's impacting people, we had two gentlemen in there who are chatbot developers, and they they actually came to me and said, you know, wow, Charlie, after the event, they said, Charlie, oh, my God, you know, we did our exercise in a group with a, a lot of different people. And one of them was this, this baby boomer who was about 65 years old, and we learned so much from him. The exercise was for them to develop a chatbot. Um, a Valentine's Day chatbot and to create the conversational flow. Not only like 25% of the people in that room even knew what a chatbot was. So for the most part, most of the people in that room didn't even know anything about chatbots. But the exercise was create one and create the conversational flow for it. You'll figure it out, trust me. And so what he told us, what they told us was, you know, we develop chatbots for agencies. You know, we have a startup. We do this for a living. And we learned that we were creating the conversational flows for chatbots far too narrowly. And we got so excited because we realized that we weren't doing it right. But we learned that from someone who was 65 years old and who was telling us. You know, I mean, and, and so they went back and they sort of redid some of their conversational flows. And they, and, and they, they said it, it really changed how they think about developing the technology. I mean, that's like the best case scenario, right? That's like people learning from each other outside of their, their usual comfort zone, right, and, and, and doing something different to, to reach other people. And so um, that was the very first event, and, and that is, I think, the most important thing because that event is where Anne showed up. Anne came to the event, and she said herself that she was looking for a different type of event to go to, and when she came, she didn't know what to expect. And so many people come into that room not knowing what to expect. And I tell people if you're building an if you're building a community and you are launching events or you're doing events, the best thing that you can do is have people walk into a room not knowing what to expect, because the curiosity is the thing that has that will help you to um, engage them in the best way possible. Uh, that that is when they are the most open to anything that you have to say. Uh, if they come in knowing and feeling like, oh, it's this, it's that, and that's one thing. But if they come in with complete open eyes and complete curiosity, it's great. So that's what happened at that first event. And that that was the, the, the sort of the benchmark moving forward was that we have people in there who are from different walks of life 
we make them engage with each other. And that's hard because, listen, I'm an introvert, right? So when I go to an event, I'm one of these people who I sit in a corner by myself. I'm good. Don't talk to me. Let me just, you know. But uh, I refuse to do that because I felt like we don't talk to each other online. And then when we do, it's not exactly the the best discourse, right? So um, I felt like it was very important because these technologies are so exotic. There's nothing like AI. There's nothing like blockchain. There's nothing nothing like this has been in our possession in the past. And when I say in our possession, I mean, you know, the general public and and us. And so it's very important that we look each other in the eyes and, and ask each other the hard questions and talk to each other. And one of the things that I learned in watching people do this is that they are, I tell them, I tell every, at every event I tell the audience, number one, don't believe anyone who tells you that you don't know about these technologies. You do know. You've been carrying around a mobile phone or a smartphone for the past at least eight years. You, you know more than you think you do, right? Um, and number two, the only reason why you think you don't know is not just because people are telling you that you don't, but because you're not being asked, right? If you ask people, to think about this stuff and to talk about it, you'll be shocked by what you hear. And so that is the other thing that began to happen. And that is what we began to hear from our guest speakers who come in and, and they, they give up their time to, to present um, sort of the latest in these technologies. Almost all of my speakers have said to me, my God, Charlie, I did not know that people were thinking about these technologies like this. I didn't know they, they seem to be more advanced than we think they are. Right. Yeah. So moving forward, I guess it has been difficult putting together events since then only because, again, I don't know what people are really going to gravitate towards. And there's, it sometimes it surprises me what hits and it surprises me what misses. And you know that because sometimes I'll call you and I'm like, yeah. I can't believe that that didn't make it. Um, but yeah, but but yeah. here's what's happening. People are changing and, and no one is talking about this fact. And one of the things that I'm seeing that's shocking me and my and my staff more than anything is just how quickly people's attitudes are changing about technology. I mean, they, they are far more savvy and far more um, cynical now than they were just six mm. months ago. The things we're hearing at our events, there's a little more anger. There's a little more, um, I don't want to say sarcasm, but there is this cynicism there. And, yeah, and rightfully yeah. so, because there's a lot of other things playing into that, right? They're, 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 people are just kind of fed up, I think, with a lot of things. <laughs> but you have to process that. You have to, get, you have to know that when you bring them into, when you build a community, you're building a community about a particular topic. Um, but that touches on a lot of other things in that person's life, and they bring that to the community. Yeah, I, I think it's so. You touched on a couple of points that I, I thought were really, uh, really uh, jumped out at me. One is the, you know, the idea that when you open up a an innovation process, even in an exercise, uh, to you know people who are outside of uh, kind of you know outside of the four walls of an organization, right? You kind of go back to that mm -hmm. Bill Joy comment about where the you know the smartest people exist outside of your outside of your company or the or the best collaborators right. but you know this uh, this idea that that many tech companies i mean conversely you know a lot of the development of technologies and the attitudes and mindsets of people in these technology companies that have become you know very uh I would say sheltered to some extent because the people mm -hmm. who are in them are, uh, you know, they're they're they they do live in in a uh, 
very disconnected uh, fashion from the rest of the from you know many of their users, and that's just part of that is just a natural outgrowth of of uh, you know as as corporate cultures get strong and and organize and people just end up spending all their time in their in their bubbles. But I think you you highlight the really the importance of maintaining that connection with you know your users and and communities. You know the the I second. Said. Yeah, well, yeah. It's just just on that point, just so you know, it's that that's actually part of the struggle because remember the people who I'm getting to come in to speak, they are experts in their field, right? And so they are used to talking about this stuff in a particular way. And what I think most people don't know is that I actually work a lot with my speakers to get them to discuss these technologies and to think about their work in a, outside of the way that they usually do. Mm-hmm. In other words, I push my, my speakers, I challenge them as, as much as I do. I, I think this, and I've been told that by my speakers, like, oh my God, Charlie, you know what I mean? And I, I make them send me the presentations. Let's talk about this. What's, because we all have to be pushed out of our comfort zone, myself mm-hmm. too. Um, and speakers come to me and they, and they, they think that they can give their usual presentation and, and blow through it in five to 10 minutes. And I go, nope, I, I, we don't need that. You know, that's not going to work here. Let's do no. something else. So anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just had to tell no, you, I, you touched on something I didn't say. Well, absolutely. And, and, but, then, but then the importance of, you know, really bringing, uh, making people uh, uh, discuss, you know, think about technologies and, and having mm-hmm. them, having non, you know, non-intimidated uh, regular right. folks being able to interact with people who, who are, who have deeper knowledge. I mean, I think we've, we've seen a lot of, uh, a lot of a lot of shifts and and you know certainly one of the um, and we've covered a lot of uh, different technologies and I mean you Absolutely. you put on a lot of uh, events and we've talked about you know for instance uh, autonomous cars which I mean I think we've, mm-hmm. maybe in the last probably 16 months we've seen a much become much more accepted and uh, I think there's Absolutely. there may be quite a bit less skepticism about the idea than there was initially, right? I mean, how do you, how would you, um, you know, another, uh, you know, another uh, area of course is, you know, has been, um, you know, just security, right? The uh, IT security and and just being, Mm -hmm. people being concerned about, uh, about hackers and, and, and malicious, Mm -hmm. malicious actors. Um, But what, what, it's kind of the big, one of the big areas where you've spent a lot of time has been, you know, AI and I, and I would, and, and you've done a lot of deep work. I mean, you're, uh, I mean, you, I I think, and you, and you're rightly getting, you know, recognized for, uh, you know, for the substance of your work in that um, uh, that Fleischman Hilliard study, artificial intelligence and communications, fads, fears, the future. This is a um, it's a it's a uh, big report. I'll uh, we'll link to it in the show notes. But you know, you were interviewed. Um, I, I'd love to get us uh, your kind of your views on how the uh, the kind of the the, the the community view, that's what I'll say, right? We're, we're sort of the non-industry view of mm-hmm. AI. What is it? You know, what what we need to be worried about, how how that's changed and how some of your experiences have helped uh, and, and the experiences uh, and what you've heard from the community has helped shape the way that you view uh, the, you know, the, the, the emergence of, of, of AI technologies. Wow. That's a big question, Ed. <laughs> I always ask big questions, you know. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> All right, five five words or less. <laughs> five words or less. 
So, God, that's even harder. Um, well, you know, the thing about it is that we, we learned that you touched on, okay, so that's a great question because when it came to content, I knew that I wanted to cover like the nine, I think it is the nine big emerging technologies that are happening. And, and what I didn't mention was that the reason I named this Tech 2025 and what really, really made me like was made me go, wow, okay, this is insane. Like we've got to do something now. It really sort of lit a sense of urgency in my soul was the idea that all I kept hearing in 2016 from the leaders in the, in, who are developing these nine different technologies, right? I mean, you know, you, you, I read like you do with there. I'm like, I read everything, right? And all I kept hearing about this, these technologies was, uh, you know, it's the early days. It's the early days. Uh, you know, it, this stuff, this will be, this particular technology, whatever it is, will, will be ready by about 2025. And the next five to eight years, it, it's, we'll, we'll begin to see mass adoption of it. It'll be ready, ready, you know, ready to roll. And I thought to myself, now, wait a minute. These are, these are about eight or nine different technologies here, right? They're all developing very rapidly. Um, they're all extremely disruptive. I mean, they, they are changed. They will, if, if they even... If they deliver on half of what they promise, they will still disrupt who and what we are in ways that we could not have imagined years ago, right? But if two of them even develop by the time 2025 get here fully, uh, let's say AI and, and VR, AR, I mean, that's a massive, huge change. And then, But we're looking at like eight different technologies or eight or nine different technologies. And so I thought to myself, my God, first of all, 20, that, that time frame, 2025, I just found it to be fascinating. And if you sort of look at some of the predictions about uh, that time frame and the technologies that are expected to be sort of, uh, you know, ready, you know, um, it's, a, it's a pretty fascinating thing, but it's also pretty scary. Because then that means that we have a lot of work to do between now and then. And if you look at that, you know, I, I don't think there's too many people who would disagree that we are sort of falling behind in, in that area in a lot of ways, legislatively, um, with regards to even uh, obviously education, right, uh, upskilling. Companies know that they're falling behind. I mean, I've gone to so many events in the past year where all I hear from executives is, oh, my God, you know, how are we going to retain talent? How are we going to, um, uh, you know, get, get the talent to, to implement these technologies? How do we, you know, it, so there's a lot going on with that. And so I, I learned very quickly that obviously, as Andrew Ning said, AI is the electricity that's powering a lot of this, right? I mean, it, and, and I happen to be of the mindset that, you know, listen, the implementation of AI as they are promising it will be, is not a foregone conclusion, okay? I am one of the people who thinks it very well could happen that way. I mean, it very well might just, you know, come in and just change our world or not, right? I mean, or not. Um, I think that there's a lot that's being sort of taken for granted right now, including the, the, the attitudes of the general public. And I learned that, and my staff learned that firsthand this past year when we saw the tremendous change in our community's attitudes towards AI. And by the end of the year, I mean, we did this event called the 23 As a Lamar Principles. And that's a document that was produced by um, the Future of Life Institute. Uh, they have a conference every year. I think it's about three years old now. Called the twenty-three. Uh, it's called the Asa Lamar Conference, and it's in Asa Lamar, California. And that's 
with a hundred of the leading thinkers and developers of AI uh, technologies. Um, you know, they, they go and they have a powwow for a week and they think about these things and they come up with solutions or whatever they do. And it, it also includes a lot of the, the tech leaders in the, in the world, like uh, Elon Musk and Larry Page. They, would, they, they go often. And so they produced this document a year ago. Um, in February of last year called the 23 SMMR Principles, where they basically just decided to come up with a, a set of guidelines to to help people think about how we should be implementing AI, right? They weren't saying that this is exactly how it should be, but rather this is these are some of the key issues that we should be thinking about when we're developing AI and that we should seriously consider implementing. And, that, and a lot of them had to do with morals and ethics, right? Safety, you know, uh, safety, privacy, that type of thing. So I was shocked at the fact that that document, which was signed by those 100 researchers and Elon Musk, and eventually was signed by like 1,500 scientists and technologists, some of the leading ones in the world. I was absolutely stunned that that document that was supposed to serve as a sort of a loose guideline for developing and implementing AI, it basically petered out in the media. You know, it was announced in a few tech publications. I know the New York Times covered it and whatever. And then it just sort of petered out. And I thought to myself, shouldn't this be picked up and talked about a lot more? Like, if these are the people who are developing the technologies, shouldn't we be having a more robust discussion? And I'm willing to bet that the average person knows nothing about this. Uh, and that's that's right. The, yeah. right? And, and to me, I feel like maybe I'm going crazy because I, I'm thinking – what is going on? Like, this is insane. This is, this, this is now is the time for us to be having these discussions and to be really having robust debate about this. So I said, well, screw it. I'll do an event on it. And so a lot of times the events that I do is just based on the fact that things are happening and they're happening so quickly. As you know, the news cycle is insane. We can't get a break. I mean, if Trump tweets one day, it washes out every bit of news that, <laughs> that, 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 that was, you know, that we should have been talking about and Trump will post a tweet and, and it's all, it's a whole new news cycle. So I decided to do an event on that. And I wanted to get people's feedback on what they thought about what these leading scientists and researchers um, felt about AI or, or said about AI. And I, I felt like it was a viable thing for us to do. And I got to tell you something, we did it in early 2017 in the spring, and we had a nice crowd. I got Dr. Seth Baum, um, who's the director of the, he's the executive director of the Global Catastrophic Risk Institute, and he's a researcher who also specializes in AI, and he was actually supposed to be at that event in, in as a Lamar, um, but he couldn't make it because his wife was having a baby. But uh, we did this. We, we presented the community with this document of 23 principles, and we basically said, Here's what each principle is without, you know, putting our spin on it. This is, these are, first of all, these are the researchers. I always want to give due respect to the researchers. I think it's amazing that we don't know who these people are who are developing these technologies that are going to change the world. I happen to think that that's almost a, a, a strange thing that we don't. We really should know who they are. I mean, just to, just to, to understand more about who's developing these things, right? So I, I made a point of saying, well, these are the people who are developing these, te these technologies. These are some of them. Anyway, some of the researchers working on AI, machine learning, and that type of thing. And here are the principles. I got to tell you something, Ed. When we gave them the exercise, the exercise we gave them was this. Number one, Choose the, the principle that you think is so problematic that it should be deleted from this list, that it's that problematic. And then number two, create the 24th principle that should be on this list that they missed mm. because we always miss something, right? And so it turned out to be a really robust discussion. And I have to tell you, even Seth 
Dr. Seth Baum, who does this for a living, I mean, he was shocked at some of their feedback. He couldn't believe that, you know, some people actually, some of the groups were coming up with ideas that he didn't even think of, and he does this for a living, right? But suffice to say, a lot of them were very unimpressed with the idea that these researchers and scientists were daring to suggest that we should have AI that's that um, is, is, is developed with any kind of a moral code or ethic code, mm-hmm. it really worried them to death. Now, fast forward another six months, and in the fall, we did the same event again. This particular group was very angry. They were much more like vocal about the fact that they, uh, some of them were just disgusted. And that shocked us, <laughs> you know, because we had not experienced that level of negativity up until, up until then. And that is when I started to see from our events moving forward a, a, a change in tone and attitude about how people feel about the technologies and about how they feel about the promise of what the technologies is, is supposed to deliver. Um, there's a lot more questions for our speakers along the lines of, well, why do we need this? Well, what is it? What do I have to give up? What is it? You know what I mean? Which is good. I think that's good. It's healthy, but that's the thing that these tech companies don't want to face. I think that that's what they – no one wants to face that criticism. Right? Well, it's, 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 like the, it's like the good friends who tell you that the, yeah. the things that you don't want to hear but that you need to hear. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's um, – I mean, it's, it's really amazing in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, just the, the role that community can play in, in shaping – how you know you know how how the industry is going to develop how uh, you know the the impact of uh, you know technological unemployment right I mean right right what does that uh, I mean that's that's an ongoing debate and I think there's uh, I mean you and I have seen uh, arguments on kind of the extremes on both sides and everything you know everywhere mm-hmm. in the middle I don't think anybody knows mm-hmm. where, no, where things are they going don't. yeah and. Um, and, and, so, and we've seen that at events too. And we uh, even at the one that we did on blockchain, which is blockchain is a very one of those technologies, as you know, that that it, it sort of elicits a lot of emotions because I think people are not sure what it is and they don't trust it. And the first blockchain event that we did was shocking to us. It was shocking to myself and and also to Rebecca Rebecca Cornejo, who you know is my awesome media coordinator. Um, we we were surprised at how cynical people were in that room. As a matter of mm-hmm. fact, they were so not really. You know, and this was Sybil, which you know is the the new media company that's um, a blockchain media company that was founded yeah. co-founded by Daniel Seberg, who was who was the founder of Google Media Lab or Google News Lab. Um, he came in, and and they were excited. I mean, again, we get people who who, who are developing these technologies. And I don't care where they come from; they want an audience, right? They want to come in and they want to share that they're excited. And this is what entrepreneurs do. I get it, and I tell that to my speakers. Look, I'm an entrepreneur too. I know what it means to have a baby that you want to share with the world, and you just want to get high off of, hey, here's, you know what I mean? Like, I'm there with you. However, however, I'm here to challenge you on that, right? And I'm here to be the facilitator of the audience if they want to challenge you on that. Um, and, and, they, and, and I think it's going to make you better and make us better. And they, you know what I mean? So I kind of give that, I kind of give them that little bit of warning. And at the end, I say, don't worry, I'm going to give you a hug. It'll be okay. <laughs> um, but, but when he came in, <laughs> For what that's worth. But when he came in to present, um, and I did give him that warning, when he came in to present, he, I, I said it's best to present something like blockchain, and there's a reason I did. I, there, there are topics that I refuse to, to, to share or to present to our community, simply because 
if I don't feel like I can do it in a responsible way, um, I won't touch it. Cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. I have not touched that yet. Yeah, and and I and I I will, but I, I have well, to be we, careful. We, do you understand? Yeah, I mean, you and I we talked about that last year when we saw the uh, exactly. the absolute insanity that In- was emerging around blockchain, which is probably uh, on one hand the most social industry uh, or sociable industry right. I've seen. Probably you know going back to well, I guess you could pr- compare it to. 2006, 2007, the, you know, the, the beginning of the social media time and even the, the internet bubble. Um, but there's an extra layer of crazy that's, that's, that's layered on exactly. top of it too, right? Exactly. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I have the trust that I have never once um, taken for granted or forgotten that people are putting their trust in me and that at the end of the day, when they come to an event, I never forget the fact that people are coming at the end of a long day right? Yeah. They're tired. They come in. They've, they're giving you two hours of their of their life. They want to hear something. And, and I try to remember that these are people who are searching for something. We're all searching for something. Yeah. And if you put that at the forefront of building a community, you will you will usually not fail them. Now, there have been, been times that I have definitely failed. Um, and that's important for me and, and for the growth of the community. But I, if I do that, then it, it allows me to feel confident about saying no, because I've been approached by a lot of people to do cryptocurrency events and, and to partner on things. And, I, and I've said no more than I've said yes. I've actually said no to big brands, some of the biggest brands in the world that have reached out to me and said, hey, Charlie, you know, uh, look, can we partner with you? Can you come in and do these events in-house in our company for a full day and we'll just cut, you know, name your price? And, and I've said no because I don't want uh, – I'm very careful about making sure that this is – the voice of, I don't want to sound corny about it, but the, when I say the voice of the people, this is a mm-hmm. community, right? And I want to be careful about um, making it seem as if I'm, I'm, I'm using this to, right, for, for a purpose that doesn't benefit the community. So, so that being said, uh, when I did introduce blockchain to the community with Daniel Seberg, who's amazing, he's from Google, he came in, um, the first thing I said to him was, if you're going to introduce a concept to them, about this stuff. And keep in mind, I had journalists in there. I mean, my network is Surfresh Media's network, right, which is the media people, tech people, fintech people, um, and also, you know, retirees and students and entrepreneurs. As if you're going to introduce this technology, by all means, you have to do it through a narrative. And I gave them a narrative, and I said, you know, you might want to try to use this narrative or that narrative. And that always helps a lot. Um, but if you don't and you just give them the technology and just talk about the technology, um, you, can't, you tend to lose people, right, mm-hmm. because they don't see why they should care. And so in that room in particular, uh, we were shocked at just how many people stood up and said, what is this? Like, why should I care? And, and a couple of journalists were in the audience who are, you know, local bloggers who have, you know, very successful, you know, blogs that have been going in this city for years. And they said, look, I have advertisers who are paying my bills. You're telling me you're going to come along and, and, and cut out the middleman? What, should I cut out my advertiser who's paying my rent? I mean, that's when it, that's when it gets real, yeah. right? Yeah. No doubt. Uh, now, are there are there some uh, you know some technologies or topics that uh, you know that you that, that you're optimistic or about or that are some mm-hmm. some areas that you're hoping to cover in the in the future? Well, yeah. I mean, I definitely the so couple of things. I've not done anything with regards to you know space tech or anything like that i have not done cryptocurrency i have not delved into other things like 3d printing and stuff like that as much as i would like i find that 
so I'm, I'm, I'm operating on a limited budget, right? I mean, in other words, I, I don't have, I have to be very careful about what I introduce and how I introduce it, right? Um, and so I'm looking at delving more into um, the, into the research aspect of this as well, because what I've learned from people, is just, which is why we launched Mission AI, um, one of the things that we've learned is that when people come to us after these events and they talk to us, and a lot of them do, they'll send us emails and they'll say, oh my God, I did this, I started a business, I did that, I didn't know, I didn't even know I felt this way about this, this topic. Um, it became clear to me two things. Number one, people, businesses, governments, and um I don't know, entrepreneurs, the people who are developing these technologies, they need to hear um, how people are thinking about these things. So we want to begin to do research about this, these, these topics um, at the event, actually, <laughs> which, is, which will be a lot of fun, and to sort of present this research not only to the community but to, um, you know, the stakeholders, you know, researchers who need to, need to, I think, would benefit from understanding what people are thinking about, right, um, and, and what they're thinking about their research, just like with the 23 Hours of Omar principles. I mean, they, uh, we were able to sort of get word back to uh, the Future of Life Institute uh, about that event or about those events, and they were surprised. They were surprised at the feedback that, that people had. So we, I want to be able to facilitate that discussion and bring the general public more into it through research that we produce that uh, shares their sentiment about this this stuff and to also sort of get them up to speed on research and the power of research, right? The, 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 that you don't have to, you know, you don't have to have a PhD to keep up with research or to understand it and to get involved in it or to have, um, to develop the next great technology if you, if you understand how to just sort of um, use resources that are available to you. I think if, if, if we can get people to become interested in that, and, or not just become interested in it, I mean, I think that they naturally will be. I just think that there are tools out there that people aren't necessarily clear on or, or don't know about. Um, but that's mission AI, I think, is one of the most important things uh, for, for us right now because it is the, it's the basis of, of getting people literate with regards to the, the research. And if there's billions of dollars being thrown at AI research globally, I think people should probably, you know, learn a little more about that. And, um, and especially businesses. Businesses, I mean, you know, this, I talk to a lot of executives who are just like, you know, how do I talk to our employees about this stuff? You know, what kind of events should we be doing? What kind of conversations should we be having? Um, and so that, that's one of the things that we're excited about. And I'm also excited more about also blockchain. Um, I want to do a lot more blockchain events, and I'm being asked to do that. Uh, but, again, I'm very careful about how I do that. I don't, yeah. uh, you know, there's a million and one blockchain events. What no one is talking about, which I think is really funny, is the fact that, again, I've been doing events for about 10 years, right? Uh, in 2016, I would say 2017, there was literally like this Cambrian explosion of events around these emerging technologies, right? When you think about it, no one was doing events about AI and blockchain and 3D printing. I mean, not to the extent that they are today. So the, so the, so the event space is saturated with so, so many events. It's true. It's <laughs> It's a bit much, and I get tell people tell me that all the time. They come to my events, and they're like, "You just gotta wait, wait, wait for uh, let let quality uh, 
quality filter to the top and uh, it, it, as it mm. as it does over time but anyway well listen this has been an amazing conversation it's always uh you know a, a wonderful journey talking with you charlie and uh i think that you know the last question i would have is if if you have any uh any recommendations that that you could share for uh anybody who wants to get a, a bit you know a bit smarter about technologies or anything that you uh, uh, that that's that's personally uh, you know that, wow. that you like to share. Oh, okay. Well, two things. The first I would say is, ironically, listen to podcasts. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, starting with this one, uh, but seriously, <laughs> podcasting. I mean, I've I've always been a podcaster and I, I've loved podcasts, but I think my listening has like quadrupled over the past year. Um, it is literally the I think one of the best ways to get information. And it's not just about getting information. It's about listening to the conversations that happen mm-hmm. around these technologies, which ultimately is, is what you want. I mean, information is one thing, but hearing how people are thinking and talking about these things, I think it's a completely different ballgame. I've come up with great ideas just listening to podcasts. And within that, um, I would say if you do decide to sort of pick up some podcasts, we are going to be, I, I myself will be listening podcasts that I like on our site and, and posting it in our newsletter. Oh, great. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll share that with you. But if you do do that, here's something that you can do. Um, instead of just listening to the typical tech podcast, which I, I say, you know, you can do that. That's great. It's very informative. I would say listen to, to podcasts like Conspiratainment, which is like conspiracy entertainment podcasts, right? Oh. Um, listen to those. Yes. I always, I suggest this to people because they say, how do you, what should I listen to? What should I do? Trust me when I tell you, if you listen to conspiracy podcasts, you'll begin to think differently. <laughs> you laughing at me. And I'm serious because people say to me, how do you come up with these ideas? How do you do I think part of the problem that we have with these technologies is that we don't know how to think outside of what we usually yeah. think, right? Yeah. We don't know how to think differently. A lot of people are used to thinking regimentedly about things. So conspiratainment is the best way. Let me tell you something. I'll give you <laughs> – I'm going to subscribe. It's, 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 I'm definitely going to subscribe. Subscribe and listen to – you want to know why? Because, again, these are people who are used to thinking very differently. They go against the grain. But also, this is a unique time for them, too. So there was a time when they were considered to be crazy, right? Conspiracists are like, whew, mm-hmm. left, left the center. Well – now that everything is sort of topsy-turvy in the world, Trump is president and up, and d- up is down and right is left, um, they seem they, – they are amazed. If you listen to the top conspiracy podcast, it's really funny. They are voicing absolute shock at the fact that they don't sound so crazy all of a sudden. <laughs> like a lot of their – like if you wait long enough, those crazy ideas actually start to sound sane. <laughs> well, what um, I mean, yeah, truth, uh, truth is stranger than fiction. Truth is Stranger to Fiction. So that's one thing I would suggest. And the other thing is, you mentioned the book. I am going to tell you, I don't know if you guys, if, if anyone out there is into sci-fi, and, and I know a lot of people are, um, but I, I read this, this short story not too long ago. It was about a year and a half ago, and it just sort of blew my mind with regards to how it um, talks about, you know, technologies and specifically AI. Um, it, when I remember when I, when I finished it, I was just, I was so blown away that I wished that I could go back and read it again with an entirely new mind. Do you know what I mean? Like I just yeah. wanted to experience that again. So the name of it is the soul of a new machine. And it was uh, published in 2000 and it's by Tracy Kidder. And I mean, it's just, it's an unbelievable sci-fi short 
fiction I'm, short story. I'm <laughs> fantastic. We'll uh, we'll find it and we'll link to it. So, listen, this has been uh, an amazingly fun conversation. Uh, again, we've uh, this is. Uh, uh, thank you so much, Charlie, for uh, for doing the for for doing this. Ed, uh, I can't thank you enough. Thank you yeah. for being. You are like seriously. When I think of the people who have helped me the most in this community and who have helped to build it, and you, 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 you come in, and when you come to these events, I, I kid you not, I've never seen anyone with so much more so much positive energy. <laughs> Well, it's 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 nothing it's nothing but fun and and uh, you know for for all all of the listeners to the podcast again it's, this has been uh, Ed McGuire uh, Insights Partner at Momenta Partners interviewing Charlie Oliver the uh, founder and CEO of Serve Fresh Media and uh, founder of Tech Twenty Twenty Five. Thank you for listening to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast. We rely on feedback, comments, and input from our listeners. So please interact with us by going to our LinkedIn page, our Twitter accounts, or email us at edge at momenta.partners with any suggestions, guest ideas, or commentary. We really value your input and appreciate your listening. Thanks a lot. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners.